God, I'm grateful for all that you do for us. Your kindness, your love, your mercy, your forgiveness, your gentleness, and also your rebuke. I'm grateful that you are a God who is near to us, who has relationship with us, desires relationship. So much so that you sent your son Jesus to bridge the gap between sinful man and a holy God. Jesus, we're grateful that you were obedient to even death on a cross. But we're grateful for your power that rose, uh, was risen from the dead, that gives us life and life to the full. I pray for us this morning as we jump into your holy, inspired, and errant, infallible word, that it would be to us oxygen, that it would be our source of life today. So open our minds, Holy Spirit, open our hearts, and give us discernment how to walk as you call us to. I pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus, amen. As Jared said, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Genesis chapter 43, just as a way of recap where we've been and where we'll go today. Uh, Last week, we saw uh, that Joseph and his brothers began the process of reconciliation. Remember that 22 years before last week, they hadn't seen each other. The last time they had saw each other was when the brothers sold Joseph into Uh, the Ishmaelites into slavery, into Egypt. And as we've seen and we'll see again, God has always been with Joseph. God's mighty hand has protected him. God's mighty hand has lifted him up. God's mighty hand has put Joseph into a position uh, to care for other people. This has all been part of God's masterful plan. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, that God had made a promise to mankind. That that the woman would give birth to a child. His name would be Jesus. But God has been orchestrating to make sure that promise comes true. And again, we see that this story is a way that uh, God is going to use to make sure that promise in Genesis chapter 3 will come true thousands of years later. And so where we saw and where we left off last week was that Joseph and his brothers had come into Joseph's house and Joseph had a conversation with his brothers remember the brothers don't know who he is but Joseph knows who the brothers are and in knowing who the brothers are he makes this plan to give them the food but also bless them with the money in return that they came to purchase the money Joseph was doing all this to see if the heart of his brothers had changed over the 22 years had God broken their heart had God brought conviction had God brought them to a place of repentance had God so changed their hearts so that he could enter back into relationship with them we'll see this over the next few chapters that Joseph is going to continue to test his brothers to test to make sure that God had really done a work in his heart we'll see that again this morning this morning is all about mercy Joseph's mercy on his brothers. And so that's what we'll we'll pick up this morning in chapter 43. So I'll just read a little bit of the text, give some explanation, and then get to the application at the end. Let's read verses 40, chapter 43, verses 1 and 2. Here's what's happening. Here's where we are at 
This is two years. We know this has been two years since they've returned home. So remember, Simeon, their older brother, is still in prison, has been in prison, bound by Joseph for two years. And it says this, Now the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had bought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy a little food. So remember that the, that the dream that Joseph uh, that the Joseph had interpreted for Pharaoh would there be these 14 years of Egypt, seven plentiful years, seven not so plentiful, famine years. And so we're in the middle of the second part of the dream that they were there was this huge famine. But remember that God had bestowed so much wisdom onto Joseph that he had given Joseph the plan to care for the people around Egypt when the famine came. And that Joseph stockpiled during the seven years of plenty. He would stockpile the grain so that when people were in need, they could come. So the brothers and Jacob had already made their first journey to Egypt to grab the first bit of food. I guess they had grabbed enough food for two full years. And at the end of that full two years, they were at a place of starvation again. And so Jacob says to his sons, hey, it's time to go down back to Egypt and grab us some more food before we die. And now we see in the following verses, verses 13 through 15, this conversation or this speech, if you will, between the, 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 the oldest brother now, I'll put the oldest brother in quotations, he's the fourth in the line, but the first three had disqualified themselves. We'll see that uh, at the very end of Jacob's life. At the very end of Jacob's life, he's giving a blessing to his son, and he calls out the first three for their immorality. So because there was immorality in the first three sons, that would mean the fourth son would rise to power. He would become the heir apparent uh, because of the, the disqualification of the other three brothers. So the eldest brother, Judah, speaks up. Judah later on is going to be used by God to bring about uh, the Savior of the world. That, that's where Jesus comes from, from this brother, not from Joseph. So Jacob gives um, the order for the brothers to go back and grab more grain. But this is what Joseph says to Jacob. There's a confrontation. And he says this in the confrontation. Hey, the man that we went and saw solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send your brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you do not send him, we will not go. For the man said to us, we, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with us. So J Judas is rebuking the father. He says, hey, there's no way we're going back down to Egypt. Because if we go back without Benjamin, the youngest son, it's not going to bode well for us. And it won't bode well for you. So Judas said, I, basically, I'd rather die here than die there. And so he confronts the father, and he says to the father, hey, there's only one way we're going back. We have to take Benjamin with us. Now remember who Benjamin was. Benjamin was the favorite son of the favorite spouse, Rachel, because in Jacob's mind, his favorite son, Joseph, had already died. And so we see even now, again, Jacob playing favorites. For me, when I read the text, I'm like, when is Jacob going to wake up? Favoritism does not work well. It doesn't work well for you, and it doesn't work well for your 
son. So let, let's just love all of your kids and not play favorites. But again, we see Jacob playing favorites. But finally, Judah rebukes his dad for the favoritism and says, look, the only way we're going, the only way we're going to live, because the man that is in position to give us the food has told us we have to bring Jacob. Remember, Joseph desperately wanted to make sure Benjamin and his father were still alive. So Joseph is making this plan to make sure he sees his youngest brother and his father. The brothers do not know that, of course. And now the confrontation back to Judah from Jacob. Israel, remember Jacob's name was changed to Israel when he wrestled with the Lord. Israel or Jacob said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? Basically, he said, why'd you open your mouth? Everything would have been all right if you had just kept quiet that you didn't have another brother. You didn't have to bring the favorite up in your conversation. Why did you even speak of him? You've treated me so poorly, verse 7. And they, all the brothers now reply. I, I have in my sense the day is like, hey, we're kind of sick of, Judah's not just sick of it, we're all kind of tired of your favorite. So now all the brothers speak up to Jacob. And they replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying that, is your father alive? Do you have another brother? What we, what we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know what he would say? Bring your brother down. And Judah said to Jacob, or Israel, his father, send the boy with me, and we will rise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand, you shall acquire him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, let me, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had, if we had not delayed, we had now had returned twice. And Judah says to his father, he's pleading with the father, please send me with the boy and I'll make you a promise. The promise, I promise to bring this boy back. This is so ironic because if you remember, who was it back when they sold Joseph into slavery? It was Judah. Judah is the one that told his brothers, hey, let's not kill him, but let's sell him. And now all of a sudden we begin to see Judah have a change of heart. He begins to make promises that he knows he may not be able to withhold, but uphold. But he's now saying, hey, I remember what I did in the past. I remember how I treated my little brother in the past. And I promise you, I will not let this one be treated the same way. Whatever happens to him will happen to me. I'm making a pledge with you. Now in verse 11, he confronts his father, makes that pledge to the father, and we begin to see the father start having a change of heart. Then their father, Israel, or Jacob, said to them, to all the brothers, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bag and carry a present down to the man, a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almond, take double money with you. 
So Jacob, Israel has a change of heart. And now he's saying, hey, we're going to die here if we don't get food. So take Benjamin with you. Take this money with you. Take these goods with you and go get us what we need. Again, it's irony. If you look back where they sold Joseph into slavery, you will remember what they got in return for the selling price. It was a little bit of those few things. Balm, honey, gum, myrrh, and nuts. You see, God is always at work. Even in the details. And God is in the details of redeeming all things. He's going to use Judah to bring salvation to his brothers. He's going to use this a little bit of uh, gifts, if you will, this prize money to bring about redemption. And, and we're going to see that in Genesis chapter 50 at the very end, where Joseph makes the claim, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Even down to the smallest detail. God is a God that redeems. God is a God that showers his mercy on his people. So he says, take this, take double the money, carry back with you, this is verse 12, carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of the sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise and go again to the man. And then there's this small prayer that Israel or Jacob prays over his sons. May God Almighty, or God El Shaddai, grant you mercy before the man. And may he send you back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. The quick prayer is this. May God have mercy on you. Meaning this. May God give you mercy. Mercy means compassion. Will God have compassion on you as you go? May you not get what you do deserve. You see, we have a merciful God. God does not give us what we do deserve. Amen? And we see that already in the text. We see that Jacob realizes that there is a God full of mercy. We'll see that throughout this story. My, my prayer for us is that you today, myself today, would feel the mercies of God. And we would be so overjoyed with the mercy of God, the same way those 11 brothers were that day. So he prays over them, and then he sends them on his way. So it says, then the men took the present, and they took double the money with them, and Benjamin, and they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Jacob. One small verse shows the journey from Canaan all the way to Egypt. Again, they're standing in front of Joseph. Now we'll see the backstory what Joseph is seeing. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the house, bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for all the men so to dine with me at noon. That verse ought to remind us of what is said in Luke 15. Remember Luke 15 is the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son, the father, is always out watching for the son's return. The same we see as this. There must have been something in the heart of Joseph that when he told them two years ago, you have to come back, he had a place and a belief in his heart that the brothers would return. He had this hope, this expectation that the brothers 
would return. So I, I don't know if he's out on his uh, patio. I don't know if he's looking out his window. But what we see here is Joseph looking out the window, and from a distance, he sees young Benjamin. Again, irony. Remember what the last time a brother saw from a distance a brother coming. Remember the plan was in place to kill the brothers. But here, instead of a plan to kill those brothers that were returning to him, the same way that Joseph had gone to see their brothers and the brothers from a distance had seen that coat of many colors that they conspired to kill him, Joseph conspires to shower mercy on them. Again, just as a small way of application, maybe that's you today. And the promises from God today that he is waiting for your return. Not to judge you, not to kill you, not to smite you, but to lavish a feast onto you. Why? Because God is merciful. He's waiting for your return. So if that's you today, if you've wandered off for two years, five years, ten years from the presence of God, return to him and know the same way that Joseph looked out his window, the same way the father in Luke 15 looked out his window, the father and Joseph and our father wait mercifully for your return, to shower gifts upon you, to make a banquet ready for you, a feast ready for you. Verse 17, the man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that we may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and to seize our donkeys. See, it would have been out of place for a foreigner to get into the house of an Egyptian. Egyptians and foreigners do not mix. We'll see that later on in the text. They won't even eat together. So here Joseph's brothers are thinking, man, we are in big trouble. Remember what they said in chapter 42. They said that this is God's judgment on us. And maybe they're thinking again, this is God's judgment on us. We're finally going to get what we do deserve. And they're terrified. And they say to the steward that's bringing them into the house of Joseph, hey, this is because we must have stolen the money. This is because of what they think that we did, the wickedness that we did. And he wants to take us and make us slaves and steal all of our stuff. Which I think is quite silly that they think that Joseph wants to steal the donkeys. Remember, Joseph is second in command. He had everything at his disposal. He didn't need their donkeys. But they're so terrified. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of the sack, our money in full. And we have brought it again with us. And we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We did not know who put our money in our sacks. They're pleading with the steward. They're making their defense. I wonder how often we go to God and make a defense. I didn't mean to do it that way. I, I, someone else did that to me. 
But look at the response of the steward. Remember, the steward is an Egyptian, not a God-fearing man at all. He would have been a, a fear of many gods, not Yahweh. But he speaks in terms of Yahweh, the Israel, Israel's God, the God Almighty. And he replied, peace or shalom to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in the sacks for you. I received your money. What the steward knew was this. Maybe it came from Joseph. We're not sure. But what he is saying to them, God is in control. You see, God is always working behind the scenes. Even again, in the minor details of putting a little bit of money back into a sack, sending them back to him. God is in the details. And he says to them, be at peace. It is God who is working in you. It is God who is at work. God is doing for you what you cannot do for yourself that you couldn't even imagine doing. Peace be with you. As a side note this morning, we can have peace because we're assured that God is always working in the smallest of details. You have peace knowing that God is working in the details. And they go on to have the conversation and then he brought Simeon out of prison. Could you imagine that moment? Two years in the making, Simeon finally sees his brother. He had to be in disarray two years in prison. I couldn't imagine. And the, when the man had brought the men to Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when they had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon. And they had heard that they should eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the presents that they had had with him, and they bowed to him to the ground. Remember the dream that he had had 22 years prior. That all of his brothers in one accord would bow before him. That dream, that promise is fulfilled in that passage. Remember, it started back in 42 that 10 of the brothers had bowed before him, but Benjamin's still at home. And so that first dream that the 11 brothers would bow before him is fulfilled in that one verse. And then Joseph acquired about the well, their welfare and said, is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they said, your servant, our father is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before him. Again, the promise, the dream was fulfilled. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. And he said, is this your youngest brother whom you spoke to me? God is gracious merciful to you, my son, he says to Benjamin, his brother. And then Joseph hurried out for his compassion or his mercy grew warm for his brothers and he sought a place to weep. Look at the words of the text. No, his revenge did not grow. His anger towards them did not rage. He did not have malice in his heart for all that they had put him through. It says that when he saw Benjamin, he saw his brothers, he had great compassion, overwhelmed with emotion. So much so that he runs out of the room and he weeps. 
He washes his face and came out, controlling himself, and said, serve the food. They served him by himself. And them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews. For that was an abomination to the Egyptians. Catch this in verse 33. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, to the youngest according to his age. And the men looked at one another in amazement. You wonder why they looked at each other with amazement at that table? Because it was Joseph who sat them in order from oldest to youngest. I read in a commentary that would take 400 million chances to get that right. So the brothers are looking at each other in amazement. Like, what, what's going on here? Something is happening that we don't even see happening. They are amazed at this. And then Joseph tests them one more time in verse 34. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table. So all the brothers get to eat. But catch the last half of the verse. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as theirs. Remember, these are wicked brothers. They are jealous brothers. They hated Joseph. They were so jealous and envious of him. And so now here Joseph is. I'm going to test the heart to see if their jealousy is still raging. He gives the other brothers just enough to eat and bestows Five times the portion onto the favorite, his favorite little brother. But look at their response. We see it in the last part of the verse. They do not rage with envy. They do not rage with contentment. It simply says this, and we see their heart in this small verse. And they drank and were merry with him. Joseph had seen that the brother's heart had changed. Joseph had seen that the brothers were not the same. Joseph had seen that God had done such a work in them. They had come to the place to realize God's mercy on them. For 22 years, God had showered his mercy on these 10 brothers that sold their brother into slavery, that sinned against a holy God. Remember what Judah had done in the previous chapters, that he had slept with his daughter-in-law, But God showers his mercy on his people. And when God showers his mercy on his people, our only response can be to be in a place of true contentment. Has God's mercy brought a change of heart to you? Has God's mercy changed your heart so drastically the way it did these brothers? You see, that's what God's mercy does for us. In closing, I'd say this. Do you know the mercies of God this morning? You see, what we all deserve is both condemnation, damnation, and judgment. We are not Joseph in this story. We are the brothers in this story. Joseph is the Christ-like figure that poured out his mercy onto his brothers the same way that Christ poured his mercy out on you and me on the cross. 
So in closing, I'd say these two things. If you're here this morning, you've run from God for 22 years, two years, know this, that God awaits your return with merciful arms. If you're here this morning, you do not know the true mercies of God, that you've never offered your life and sacrifice as a sacrifice to a holy God, I would say to you, do that. That is the mercy of God. Come to a place of true repentance to receive the mercy of God. That is called salvation. So whether you're an unbeliever that needs justification of salvation or a believer that needs sanctification of salvation, come to the mercy throne of God and receive his mercy this morning. Let us pray. God, I'm grateful for this story as a reminder of your mercy to us. I pray, God, that you would continue to allow us to see your mercies. As your word tells us, your mercies are new every morning. I ask myself this already. Have I seen your mercy this morning? You are good to us. You are kind and gentle to us. Shower us with mercy. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Please rise for the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you grace and peace today. Amen. Grace and peace to you. Remember, if you want the Valentine's Day dinner, please fill that out. Give it to myself or Tracy, and we'll get you a a meal uh, this coming Saturday. And prepare your calendars for our business meeting on Wednesday. Grace and peace to you today.